Be good. <laughs> Hello there, friends. Welcome to the Monkey Tooth Podcast. It's your pal, Andrew, here with my wife, Tiffany, and our little dog, Pele. We're in uh, the Bay Area of San Francisco, having a great time. We are both working, doing our thing, trying to get back on the road by sometime in April, if all goes well. In the meantime, uh, this is the only episode I've got recorded. I don't have anything in, in the future that I know of. We're... Um, we're still looking to do more of these, but I just don't have any. So maybe next time we'll just tell stories from the road or I'll just skip it. I don't know. If you've got an idea, feel free to reach out. mtp.dog forward slash contact is a good way to get in touch with us. Okay. This episode today is with our friend Bradley Yip. Bradley is a chef, a world traveler, a former model, a very interesting guy. He's also a sweetheart. He's a Canadian at heart. And by temperament, we loved him immediately. I went on a hike with him, and like so many of our uh, guests, he made breakfast for us in the morning. And it was this beautiful fruit platter. Uh, Notice, most notably, it had little kiwis with like lime juice on them. Anyway, it was a fantastic breakfast. We drank a ton of coffee, and he came and sat with me in a boat at Tal Ruspoli's fantastic Airbnb in Yucca Valley and uh, told me an incredible story. This uh, this podcast is, um, it's got a character in it, who you'll hear about, a guy named Dr. Priest. It's a real person. You're going to hear all about him in this episode with Bradley Yip. Uh, right now, it is, um, I don't know, it's Martin Luther King Jr.'s birthday, and there's a lot of weird shit happening in the world, uh, not the least of which is a real dumb argument over... A border wall at the bottom of our country. Uh, and I just, I don't know, I wanted to read you this delightful quote from Martin Luther King Jr. when he visited, um, uh, he was in uh, Berlin looking at that wall that they had there, 1964. And he said, I quote, For here on either side of the wall are God's children. And no man-made barrier can obliterate that fact. Now, if you want to believe in God and children, that's up to you. doesn't matter. But you can believe in good sense. Uh, And that guy had a whole bunch of it staring down at that wall and realizing that on either side of the fence is just human beings. And in between them was a real dumb fucking idea. So take that to bed with your children. Uh, I hope you enjoy this episode with Bradley. We sure as hell did. If you want to ask questions or talk about this, you can reach out to us at mtp.dog and uh, again, forward slash contact, or you can look at the songs we've used in this episode or any other episode, whatever you want to do. All right. Thank you so much. Have fun. Do interesting things. Until next time. Bye-bye. Bradley, thanks, man. I appreciate you uh, taking time out of your vacation. No worries. It's a pleasure. Yeah. We are, uh, it's perfect, I think, that you and I are right now sitting in a boat in the desert, (laughs) a dry docked boat uh, here amongst Joshua trees and hills of sand. As you are, uh, from what I've gathered in the past, just maybe 14 hours of hanging out with you, just as enigmatic as this arrangement. do you mind starting off and just telling me, like, what, where, where are you from? Where, where have you come from? Where did I start? What is, what is your genealogy? Well, it kind of, yeah, I guess it, uh, it kind of starts with my folks. Um, I, I'm mixed. I think the Coles Notes version is that uh, my father is half Chinese, half English, uh, but with like Portuguese and Spot- Scottish mixed in there. So they were actually born in Guyana, and my mother's, uh, my mother's parents are Indian. My grandfather was a, a Brahmin, Brahmin priest that then became a Catholic priest. And uh, 
and then uh, her mother was just Amerindian, so from Guyana. Wow, yeah. that's a hell of a mix. Yeah, kind of. <laughs> do you uh, do you have like a connection with most of those cultures, or? Yeah, so I mean, I I I really feel like it's um, it's influenced me in in many ways. Uh, one that that nomadic spirit, you know. So sometimes I just have to get up and go and and travel somewhere. Um, you know, I, I, my chosen profession. The big draw for for me is is that I travel with it. Um, that I get to go new places. Then I have a lot of change with it. Yeah. Um, so I tr- I travel around and I uh, cook for people. And uh, yeah, that's that's yeah. my gig. It's a very very simple way of putting it. I just travel <laughs> around and cook for people. Yeah. You. Uh, that's you, my elevator pitch of it. Yeah. You know? I'm sold, man. I, if I could afford it, I would love to have you travel with us and cook with us. But, uh, so let's take it take it back a little bit. So you're currently you're a chef, you're a trained chef. You've been through uh, lots of schooling in a variety of disciplines. It seemed like they all touch on those cultural uh, your cultural background, right? Yeah. So you know, actually, maybe I'll tell you the story about Doctor Priest and, and the Ayurvedic side of things because because that's that's kind of where it all started. Um, and you know, uh, and I'll try not to to get jumbled and cram in a bunch of stories or, or side things. Because Please jumble it. Please really? cram in lots of stories. It's totally fine. <laughs> Just because this this is a story that I tell, and I, I think it's an important story because um, because of who he was and what he did for me, and how it came about. Um, so I, I was living in London in my twenties. I was a model, and uh, you know it's feast or famine there. You know, like mm-hmm. you get. Tons of money at one point, and then sometimes you're eating like pot noodle. And, uh, <laughs> How old were you at this time? I moved there when I was 18. I moved back to England when I was 18. And so like, I actually went to school in England, um, but uh, I left to go back to high school and university in Canada, and then, and then just wanted to get back there. So fortunately, I was able to model there. And um, well, so one day, I think I, w- I was, uh, I was um, pretty... Uh, I, I, I'd gotten an advance from my agent or something uh, to, to cash to pay my rent. It was, it was probably during one of the famine periods. And uh, I was in the bank, and I, I, hear, um, I hear this old dude arguing with the bank teller, and he's, he's like, bah. and I was like, hey, I wasn't feeling great, so I was engaging a little bit of schadenfreude, you know, <laughs> taking delight <laughs> in his misery. And, um, and then all of a sudden he goes, the children of Afghanistan are dying. And I was like, "What? What's going on here?" Right? Like, I, and then I thought he was really crazy, but I, I listened for a bit, and I realized he was—he was an old Canadian dude, and he was an eye doctor, and he was—he was trying to get money out on his credit card to go pay for his um, visa, and his passport was in the embassy, the Uzbekistani embassy or something. So I listened for a bit, and he needs like fifty pounds to go get it. And so I, I, I walk up to him. I go, "Hey, man, there's a Canadian bank down by at St. Paul's. You can go there and get it." And uh, he's like, oh, awesome, amazing, thank you. How long will it take me to get there? I'm like, oh, half an hour there, half an hour back. He's like, well, the embassy closes in 20 minutes. And I'm like, mm, sorry, dude, tried to help. And then he's like, well, will you lend me 50 pounds? And I was like, oh, I'll keep my mouth shut. But, um, but the, you know, I figured, you know what, if this dude's crazy or whatever and he just needs 50 pounds, fine, he takes it. And But if he's really going to Afghanistan or wherever to help these kids, then it's 50 pounds well spent. So I go. I give him the 50 pounds. He's like, no, no, come with me to the embassy. I'm like, we'll go. And so I go with him. And the Uzbekistani embassy is not fancy in London. It's not like the U.S. embassy or anything. It's like down a basement and look really sketchy. But we, um, but anyways, um, long story short, like we went, we got the passport. We, we went into, uh, we went into the uh, bank and this dude took out all this money on his credit card. Like, a whole pile. Turns out this dude is rich, right? Like really quite wealthy. And so he's like, listen, you did a really nice thing for me. So, so why don't, uh, why don't I take for lunch? So, you know, we go and have lunch. And at the time I was wearing my Ashbury ring and he's like, oh, you went to Ashbury, which was, was quite, quite a well-known school in Canada. I'm like, yeah. And he's like, have you ever thought about being a doctor? And I was like, well, you know, uh, I mean, like you and my parents both, right? Like, no, I'm just modeling like, blah, blah, blah. And so he's like, then he starts telling me about Ayurveda and what it does and, you know, eating holistically. And I'm like, oh, okay, yeah, cool story. You know, drink my beer, eat my lunch. And I'm like, peace. And then, um, and he's like, well, when I'm back in town, I'll look you up. And I'm like, yeah, sure, whatever. And, uh, and then I thought, you know, it's a nice enough story. 
Um, I, I thought that was the last I was going to see of him, but uh, but he was going to have a much bigger effect on my life than I realized at that point. Another month goes past, and uh, and then like my agent in England, he was really like a second father to me. Never fought, you know. Like he he would always support me, whatever. For some reason, one day I just went in and we had a big fight, like like a blowout. And it was like, like he fired me or I quit or whatever and walked out of the agency. And I was like, well, what am I going to do now? I'm screwed. So he, um, so that night I went back to my, my apartment. I'm like, frig, I'm, my visa is not going to, I'm not going to be able to, have to keep my visa. I'm not going to, I'm going to have to move. I'm going to lose my girlfriend. I'm losing my flat. Like, you know, I don't know what I'm going to do. And, um, and then my phone rings like on cue and uh, it's Dr. Priest. And that is his real name. And he's like, oh, Bradley, I'm, I'm back. I was in Afghanistan. I helped the children. <laughs> I'm like, good for you, Dr. Beast. He's like, what are you doing? I'm like, I don't know. And he's like, well, no, I mean, what are you doing tonight? And I was like, nothing. He's like, well, come for dinner. So we go to this veterans club, this old boys club, like full on like school dinners, whatever. And, uh, and I tell him, I tell him what happened. I'm like, listen, I don't know what I'm going to do. Uh, I just quit, fired, or whatever. It just blew up at my agency, and I have nothing to. I I just don't know. And so he looks at me quite intensely. Reached down into his book, uh, his book bag or whatever. I see him writing something. He pauses. He looks at me dead in the eyes, and then he slides something across the table. I look at it, and it's a check for ten thousand pounds. <laughs> And I'm like, what? I was like, is this happening? He's like, Bradley, go to India. Here's who you study with. Go do Ayurveda. Just go do it. You did a nice thing for me. I'm going to do a nice thing for you. So I did. I got on a plane. I went to India. I saw I saw some of the craziest stuff ever. I actually met up with a Californian guy out there, uh, Wyatt Joliffe, if you're out there, Wyatt. Sorry. What? And, uh, and, you know, he and I, he had a motorcycle. He was going around India. And so we became fast friends And while I was studying there. And, and India was a whole other chapter. But that started my interest in Ayurveda and, and started me cooking Ayurveda cuisine and laid the seed. So then when I went back to culinary school, I was like, I need to legitimize this. I need to learn the culinary skills to go along with this because I didn't want to be an Ayurvedic masseuse or anything like that. I wanted to cook. So I went back, and and that's that's how, um, and and also interesting to say that after this, you know, I'm, I'm notoriously bad for keeping in touch with people, and I really wish I'd kept in touch with Doctor Priest because he changed my life, and also after that, that was the last time I ever saw him and yeah. ever heard from him. Yeah, is he still living? You think? Or? I don't think so. I don't. I don't know. I mean, he'd be, he was eighty at the time. Wow. He wasn't in great nick. So he'd be what, like ninety six or something wow. now, hundred. So he's he's probably gone. Wow. But I never got to say thank you to him. I would say I would argue that you're thanking him daily by having pursued that profession. And are you basically are you a doctor of Ayurveda at this I'm, point? I'm no. not a doctor of Ayurveda. I mean, yeah. like people go for many years many to university, years. Yeah. and you know, you know, when I went there, I kind of went in with that attitude, like, oh, okay, let's let's learn this Ayurvedic stuff, right? And they, you know, the doctor there was kind of like, um, you do realize, like he, he you know. I was full of piss and vinegar, and he was kind of like, "Okay, buddy, listen, you're not going to learn any of it." It's like, it's like if, if somebody came over and be like, "Okay, let's get this doctorate done, or let's get, let me just bang out this PhD," right? You know, so they they kind of settled down, but, but you know, I, I learned a lot of stuff, and and you know, you have to be an Ayurvedic doctor to kind of like take the pulse and find out someone's doshas, etc. 
I mean, I can do it. I understand it. I understand the process. I, I know to do it, and I'm accurate at doing it. But I mean, like, it's like, it would be really presumptuous of me to do it. Sure. And and there are no online quizzes really where, where you go like click this and you'll find out if you're Pita Kappa Vata, right? Like, <laughs> it doesn't work like that. You you need to take the pulse and you need to find out because like it'll surprise you. And that and that's the base of it. You need to eat for your constitution, right? Like you, that's how to keep you. Uh, yeah. Element. So tell, I mean, I know a tiny bit about Ayurveda just because I went to massage school, mm-hmm. uh, but I don't really know anything about it other than you know what you've just said, sure. sort of the very basics. Do you mind laying out some of that? What's Not Ayurveda about? So Ayur, the way of and Veda life, right? So it's basically you want to talk about, and the reason I gravi- gravitated towards the. Um, the food side of things, because, you know, it really treats food as medicine, but not in the Western sense where, you know, we get sick and we take a pill mm-hmm. and we're like, okay, let, let's, let's get better. Right. But food is medicine in that we're maintaining our bodies and, um, we're, we're using it to, 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 um, proactively ward off disease, etc. So depending on your constitutional makeup. So for example, I'm Pita, Pita Kapha, right? So the three doshas, Pita Kapha Vata, incorporate, um, you know, Pita associated with like fire, spikiness, uh, spice. Um, Kapha is like heaviness, oiliness, you know, weighted down. So think of things like elephants or whatever, like Kapha mm-hmm. animals. I always say that because um, of Ganesh. Mm-hmm. Um, then, uh, and then Vata is like ether and air and, you know, so associated with like the space, the space in, in between leaves. And, and so, so then... It's really just a vocabulary um, that we use in order to kind of identify things and categorize things so that we, yeah, so that we have the vocabulary. And, and you know, I try really hard not to alienate people by just using that vocabulary and saying, oh, well, this is a pita kapha matter. And so if you just do this, like, boom, boom, boom. But rather say, okay, you know, you're getting rashes or whatever. So you have an excess of pita right now. So we we need to calm that or we need to appease that and make sure that we're not giving you things that that are super pita in, in your, your diet. Then the Ayurvedic doctors will, will go on to maybe uh, do one of the panchakarmas on you to 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 also uh, help rebalance everything and, and get everything aligned. Um, so I'll go at it from the, the food side of things, but there are panchakarmas, which, which involve, you know, um, there's ones that involve vomiting. There's ones that involve, you know, just sort of, there's bloodletting. There's things just to kind of like a little bit more, um, extreme. And, and usually I don't lead with that stuff because it, it can, it can kind of, you know, people are kind of, wait, 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 you're going to come here and make me vomit and poop. <laughs> Um, but and I'm uh, paying you for this, yeah, exactly. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, so that's when I'll, I'll kind of like I, that. I need to leave to the doctors. Yeah. But um, but then the pleasant things like the shirodara, which is like pouring oil over over the head and a little bit of the massage, mm-hmm. this is very pleasurable. And people go and and do it just just for that sensation, yeah. you know. So that's very interesting, man. I, every time I've encountered it, I've, it's been a mix for me of skepticism. Mm-hmm. And uh, like awe, yeah. Because I can see how it can be perceived from a Western standpoint as bullshitty, <laughs> and from For sure, and from uh, just strictly chronological point of view, that it's thousands and thousands of years old, and that these medicines and these methods and these things have been happening for a long time, and they clearly have helped some people out, you know. And to, and to be more conscious of your way of life. And like what food you put in you and how you behave, there's nothing wrong with that. And yeah. and whatever vocabulary you want to put on it, whether it's you know a diet that you've read in a U.S. Weekly mm-hmm. <laughs> magazine or you know someone's taking your pulse and taking the time to you know look at you and smell your breath and look in your ears and take you know take the time to see how you're doing. I, I love that, man. I, I I think about food a lot. Yeah. Just not just because I'm a hungry ass, but like. <laughs> I, I, it is so important, and it's such a huge part of our lives. And I, I like that there are people out there who are well healed enough and are busy. And are like, look, I just want you, Bradley, to come here and take care of my food needs and do it well and with like style and with consideration. 
while I'm doing whatever it is that I'm doing. How, how much of your life right now is that, like just showing up at someone's retreat or home? Or So I would say the last few years it's been on. Like it's been on. I just I just want to loop back quickly to, to what you said just to wrap up the, the Ayurvedic side of things yeah, yeah. because you kind of nailed it when you said, you know, I'm in awe of it, but at the same time, I'm weary of the bullshit. And 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 that's a challenge that I face a lot, right? Is is that is that you know, I, I do shy away from using all the vocabulary and, and getting super things like, you know, the best thing is, you know, not that, oh, here's your holistic, you know, Ayurvedic meal, you know, but rather, here's your meal. Right. And this will, you know, this will feed you and mm-hmm. nurse you and you'll eat it. And, and, you know, I'll, it'll be made with conviction, etc. And I don't need to hammer you over the head with, you know, standing on my Ayurvedic footstool. Right. Yeah. You don't need to make a promise other than exactly. I, I, you're very likely to be full and nourished at the end of this. <laughs> exactly. And then this, this will make you feel good and it will yeah. speak to your needs. Yeah. Right. So that's, so that's, that's exactly, I think that that was important to say. Well, no. Yeah. And there's, there is something to be said for believing in whatever it is you want to believe about your food. Mm. You know, if you believe your food is, is medicine or is healing you in a, a preventative prophylactic way, not like a pathological yeah. healing sort of way. If you, if you genuinely believe that, then that's likely to be the outcome. Yeah. You know, the, and I don't issue Western medicine and say like, Oh, it's right. all like, whatever. like I believe that, that the answers are a very holistic approach, mm-hmm. you know, like one from column A, one from column B, yeah. you know, if you're, if you're preventing all these things, um, then, you know, you're not going to get to the Western thing of, of, yeah, now we need to be invasive or sure. be whatever. Yeah. Well, I mean, just the whole concept of being more mindful of what you eat anyway, I think that if that were a value in every culture or of greater value in most cultures, mm-hmm. I think a lot of our issues, I like to say all our problems would be brand new. Yeah, <laughs> It wouldn't solve everything, yeah. but it would certainly... Uh, give us other things to worry about, you know. I mean, if we if we all really gave a shit about how we ate, I don't think anyone would be okay with a factory farm. Exactly. You know, if you really take the time to consider what is happening there, I don't think most people would do it. Yeah. And you know, we would certainly, if we all gave a shit about what we put in our bodies, or gave at least a little bit more of a shit, there wouldn't be so much heart disease and you know all the. the Associated problems. We talk about prana and the prana in the food, right? And that that life force, and I mean, it exists. Like again, without getting too into into the vocabulary, etc., or these words we use to describe them, we simply talk about something that you know, like freshly. You know, it, it, they call it out on every menu, even Western things. Oh, fresh, whatever. Why? Why is why is fresh such a big thing? Because, you know, it's living. It's this. It's that. It's right there. It's it's clear and evident. And you're taking that energy and you're putting that energy into your body. You, you know, it's as simple and, and as complicated as that. All right. Yeah. I like the sound of that. Well, uh, let's take it back then a little bit because mm-hmm. you have lived a very um, what I would consider an interesting life just from the little bit that. Uh, Tiffany is physically incapable of not asking rapid fire <laughs> questions. I've been almost like trying to avoid you so that I could get you in front of the microphone <laughs> and ask you here. But uh, I've caught snippets of, of what you've been up to in your life. You've lived, you speak four languages and lived in how many countries? Yeah, I mean, I, I speak, I speak uh, English, um, French because I'm Canadian, right? All right. Um, and then German and Dutch, they're pretty good. Like I can get by. It takes me being in 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 there in the cultures and speaking it for a bit. And I speak Wolof as well, but you know I don't really count that. That's a Wolof. It's a West African language. Oh, okay. So I, I grew up like um, we had uh, we had like maids, etc., and we had like gardeners and drivers and. And so, yeah, I just started speaking Wolof to them, and I, I was able to pick it up pretty quickly. Where and, were you living? In the Gambia. In the Gambia. Yeah. Wow. And that language actually never came in handy until I was in Italy. Really? And uh, yeah, I was in Italy modeling, and um, and all the models were going down to Parco Sampioni and uh, getting ripped off on their counts of weed and, and everything <laughs> like that. So I walked down and I realized it's a bunch of Senegalese guys or Gambian guys, or whatever, selling yeah. weed in Parco Sampioni. So I, I go up to them. I'm like, hey, Nangadef Sumaraka, what's up? You know, hey, how's it going, my younger brother? You know, and one guy was super receptive and was like, oh, hey, you know, and he starts talking to me in Wolof. And another guy is just like staring at me. 
and like kind of like just weirded out. So we get we get we get talking for a bit, and then he uh, and finally you know, and they're giving me they're giving me weed at this point, and and uh, and then the other guy finally chimes in. He goes, "Hey man, listen." I was so stoned. I thought you were speaking Italian, and I was hearing Wolof. <laughs> that's the only time. So then I took it. I took it back to the hotel, oh and and God. I just put out all this, all this marijuana on, uh, on the table, and all the models came down to my room. And you know. I'm so stoned. I thought you. Were, I thought I was finally getting Italian. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's amazing. I, you, I mean, you, that's that's one of the cool things about. Like I'm just such a white dude. Yeah, you know, I, I just look like all white guy. But in your like your skin tone mm-hmm. and the the mix of cultures that are in you, you look like 19 to 30 different cultures. You could look Hispanic. You look Italian. Mm-hmm. You've got de- certainly some sort of Asiatic features. Yeah, you've got like a really cool look. I imagine that helped you a lot in in modeling. Yeah, I mean it was it was uh, it was either. Oh, definitely book this kid because he looks this certain way. Or, you know, why is this kid showing up in my casting? <laughs> it's just, he's, just, he's not right for it. We, you know, uh, I always, I always, and, and the grass is always greener yeah. because you know I shot like every one of almost every male fashion story that David Bailey shot for one year because um, I really think it's it's uh, just because I got along with him. And he was like, oh, this kid's no hassle on these trips. <laughs> so we were shooting like all this these crazy clockwork orange scenes. We were going down to like New Key and shooting these surf stories for Luomo Vogue. Like it was crazy. It was a crazy time. And I did a lot of work for him. And so and um, but uh, the 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 whole the whole the whole thing about it was. Uh, editorial doesn't pay great, so I would be an envy of all these guys going across to Germany and shooting like these super cheesy catalogs for like Sport Check or whatever, and making like <laughs> thousands of, of dollars wow. a day. And I have all these beautiful tear sheets in my portfolio, but um, yeah, nothing. I mean, like I did well in the end. I, I would go down and do the shows, and, yeah. and then I got some you know good commercials and stuff, and I was able to I was able to make a career of it. Yeah. Well, I mean, yeah. it, it certainly put you in the right places at the right time. Sounds like meeting yeah. the Doctor Priest, amazing name, by the way, yeah. Jesus. So, okay, so you've lived in the Gambia. You're, you're Canadian citizen. Now, your fa- your father was like in the Canadian government, or yeah. So, so, so this is how it worked. We actually moved across to the Gambia because of my mother's occupation. She was the regional director for CUSO, so a univer- CUSO? Uh, Canadian University Services Overseas. Okay, and they're still around. Actually, my parents went out and volunteered for them um, in Guyana, their their place of birth, um, as volunteers again. So they'll go out and they, you know, they'll they'll help schools or they'll help, you know, they'll they'll be new nurses in the community. Yeah. So we went out. Yeah, we went out um, to West Africa for her job, and my father was actually hired in the field because there was no Canadian High Commission in the Gambia, so it was based in Dakar in mm. Senegal. So he was the liaison between you know the um, what's the canadian high commission function what are they so it's basically like the embassy the embassy okay yeah yeah so gotcha. basically like the like the u.s embassy gotcha so that's what your father ended up doing and then you mostly traveled with him his profession after that or so actually at, th- at that point when i was 11 uh, i went away to boarding school okay. so i went away to boarding school in togo and um where's togo Togo is also, also in West Africa, in okay. the Gulf of Guinea. Oh, wow. And, uh, and that, so I went from, you know, the American schooling system, because I was going to the American Embassy School there. Um, and I went across to Togo, and I changed the British system. And, you know, that was my first time away from home. It was difficult, you know. I went from, you know, having, you know, the maids and everything to kind of just being in amongst it and doing everything yourselves. And, and, and 11 is a young age to do it, right? I have my brother with me. Older, younger, older brother. Yeah, that's great. Um, so, so we went through that, and and but after a year, I was like, Togo is not the place for me. Um, and my parents then sent me to Wycliffe College in England. Wow. Yeah. So I went, I went there, and I did my GCSEs, and uh, GCSEs, General Certificate of Secondary Education. Okay. Gotcha. Yeah. So I did like twelve of those, and then, and then after after that. I was like wanted to change again, so I went to Ashbury in uh, in Ottawa, 
and did, uh, did I finished I finished high school there. There was still 13th grade in uh, in Canada at that point. Uh, a little bit of uni, and then that's when uh, I went back to Europe to model. Wow. Yeah. And then you went to culinary school after that, after going to India. How long were you in India? So in India, I was back and forth for three months. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, yeah, so got a solid foundation there. Uh, when I was about, so I, I, I think I told you earlier, I'm really bad with like dates and yeah, everything and, and cool. my timings. <laughs> it's sort of like when I moved from which country to where, but yeah. Um, yeah, so I left, I left England, went back to Canada. I went back to Canada when I was 25, 26. And then uh, I didn't start culinary school until I think I was like 29 or 30. Huh. Within three or four years, I was an executive chef. That's what I was trying to get at. Because you're, yeah. I mean, you're not that old a guy. We're about the same age, right? Yeah, you're 40? I'm 41. 41, yeah. yeah. I mean, you've, you've turned that around pretty quick. You yeah. Know? Um, so you've started, you're doing like working for other chefs and... And doing that sort of thing, and then what you did? You open up your own place, or well, I had the opportunity to to um, to uh, work at the McMichael Canadian Art Collection, mm. and uh, so when I was there, I was just taking along. It was it was like an experiment for me. It was my first kitchen, and I wasn't really being taught by anyone. Um, you know, I had worked with you know, some some relatively well known chefs in Canada. Um, and and so McMichael was like a it was an art gallery and it used to do weddings right so so as as every you know kid coming out of culinary school you really want to prove yourself and make your your, your mark on the world and and you know you think you're going to be the, the the next great thing but I was just having a lot of fun I was I was having a lot of fun and I I, I was building a team. And actually, I think my proudest thing coming out of there is that, that that team that I hired there, a lot of them are still with the organization in, in executive chef positions. That's so they, they grew. Um, and I mean, that's all, all credit to them, but it was a great team. And uh, yeah, the McMichael, I, w- I would do little things like I would, I had a little garden at the point at that point. And that was before every, everybody had a garden, you know. But um, so I just grow certain things and and then, you know, put it on the plate. And I would try and base my plates on the color palettes of, of you know, the group of seven. And um, and and then the gallery got interviewed by the Michelin Guide. So there's no Michelin stars in Canada, um, but there's the Michelin Guide. So they came to interview the gallery and, you know, then they came and they ate and, you know, they liked my food. And so, so then they started talking to me and they did a little interview much like this and asked me you know, a couple of questions. And, and, uh, so I just told them what I did and showed them some of my food. And then they, they, they did a little shout out for me, like, wow. and, and then all of a sudden it was on like the, the private chefing was then on because, you know, uh, my name got out there and I, I, I can't say I completely understand how these people found me. But um, you know, I started working for for um, people like Ram Sharam, um, like Andy D. Francesco, um, John Feltheimer. You know, like some some pretty pretty. Well, I mean, they're they're big in their industry, right? Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, that's that's kind of how it all started. The takeaway for me there was that you just basically gave Monkey Tooth Podcast a Michelin star. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if I have that authority, but if I could, I would give you two Michelin stars. An interview much like the Michelin, just like this. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's really cool, man. Because you, I mean, you took you took an opportunity and not expecting anything. Like, do I've worked a lot in restaurants and a lot of production type stuff, and in a gallery situation where you're you said you're doing weddings, like that is that's production. That's yeah. a big, lots of work. It's tough to put 
to cook like what you said did you say intention or with uh, conviction yeah you know to, to put that sort of energy into large production food is not easy man to i mean because you just have to get food on plates and make it beautiful but you got to get it out you know yeah. and you got to get it out in numbers and you've got to coordinate a lot of things so that your the, your takeaway from that is that like you're still able to put out something with intention and conviction still build a team and still have all the things that you were genuinely passionate about come through in that large production stuff that ain't easy well you know what it's not easy and uh but i had that team with me yeah and and i have to say i cannot say you know that team grew with me because um you know i i i I kind of skipped over a, a little portion but from that team at McMichael, um, and you know, I I I I almost feel like calling them out by name, but you know, that crew, we we went and we we started working for a large scale catering company, yeah. because from what I learned at McMichael, you know, I I had to learn it myself, and and so you know, there were and at people I would I would bring in would teach me little things. I would watch other catering events, you know, and then I was like, oh my gosh, you know, I've been doing that in a really bad way. <laughs> and, then, and then, so I, I, I started, I always wanted to look at efficiencies, efficiencies, efficiencies. And without getting too involved in the shop talk, I, I, I became quite accomplished at it. So when we moved to that large scale catering company, I had that team with me. And the, the things that we did that team is amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, they were hard, hard workers. I, I have, you know, like we were doing the Ride to Conquer Cancer, um, 35,000 meals in the weekend. And we would do it with like, the with, with you know, all our setup and the way we, we organized it. We would be doing it like with a team of 12. Wow. Yeah, because we would, oh, we would okay. space it out. And the, the subsequent teams that have come into that catering company, you know, they have teams of like 30, et cetera. Um, and so, like I said, I can't say enough about that team. They're, they're all amazing. And, um, and yeah, I miss them a lot. Yeah. There's something about that, man. I, every successful or fun restaurant venture I've been in mm. has had a good team at the center. Yeah. You know, guys that, that, and, and women that love what they do, they like working together and they know how to argue or how to disagree or how to get their opinions. Everybody's got agency, yeah. but everybody knows their job. And you know, are just willing to do whatever. It's a fun environment to be in. Yeah, it's it's not. I mean, I've had opportunities to work with teams outside of the restaurant business, but there's something about that—the camaraderie of like getting food out, getting people fed. It is yeah. fun, and it's always fun after. Oh, <laughs> restaurant people are a lot of fun to party with, man. One hundred percent. And and that that team, like we were in hugely hugely stressful situations, mm-hmm. like that that team, we'd been through a lot, right? Yeah. And because, you know, like I, I have, a, you know, like a, a lot of offers to do the catering thing again or to mm-hmm. do large scale banquets. And, and I dabble in it. Like I'll do some events, but um, nothing on that scale because because honestly, uh, maybe this sounds spoiled, but if I don't have that team, I'd rather do my solo thing and, and do the thing, yeah. you know, like I, I get paid just as much. It's super lucrative what I do. So, you know, why, why, uh, yeah. why, why try and recreate or, or catch lightning in a bottle again? I just don't, I don't see it happening. Right. Um, but yeah, I, I gotta say that, that team, we, um, during the, with that year, we went and did the ride to conquer cancer in Calgary and it got flooded out. Right. So the first time in ages, it was canceled. Uh, and so all of a sudden we had $30,000 worth of food in reefer trucks and you know but then there was people that needed aid so all of a sudden i repurposed we repurposed the team and we started doing flood relief and setting up little camps and everything and and we were able to do that because you know what like everyone everybody was up for it yeah everybody was like okay let's do this like we we, you know we we have this food and we, we you know we've got to get it out and two because it would have been a huge waste and and three, because there, you know, like people were there trying to organize how we're going to get these evacuees, you know, fed, and we're like, well, we're perfectly set up to do it. Yeah. So that year we did the Calgary floods. We get back to Toronto that year, and um, and we it had been a long year for all of us. And then the Toronto ice storm hits, 
And so we had run down all of our inventory. I had sent a lot of the team home. And then all of a sudden, we were closing for down for Christmas, like we'd done all our Christmas events. All of a sudden, we're cooking for 7,500 a day. And there's three, four of us in the kitchen. And so we start working these, you know, 18, 20, 22 hour shifts. Yeah. And, and one of my, I really want to call him out because he was amazing. He worked and I don't know, get in trouble with like labor laws or whatever, but he worked 36 hours straight. Oh my God. Just pounding out this food. And then, you know, so then we come and read and we were like sleeping underneath the, the, the kitchens or whatever, just getting it done. And we didn't have like our regular supply lines. So we were, you know, like we would go to Costco and fill up like 16 shopping carts mm-hmm. and, you know, bring them in, you know, hand bombing everything into the van. That was wow. two of us doing that. Oh my God. Um, and then, but Chandra just jumped. Oh, I did call him It's cool, man. Don't worry. Um, Nobody listens to this yeah. show. Man. <laughs> Chandra finishes a 36-hour shift, and then all of a sudden, he goes, okay, i got to go to my part-time now. Oh, my God. And he left, and he went and worked a restaurant service. Oh, my God. Just amazing. Like, that, that's like, those are the kind of soldiers I had, yeah. you know, on my team. They're yeah. just unreal. The, the amount of work, like, I don't know if everybody can quite appreciate this, but, like, to feed, just to just to run a single restaurant shift is a lot of work. But what you just described, you handled the entire supply line. I mean, just getting the food to you, the, mm-hmm. the driver who brings your food to you, that dude is working his ass off. Then there's the prep guy in the kitchen, work or the prep guys, women plural, and then never mind the like the actual service, cooking, mm-hmm. assembling, plating, delivering. There's so much work involved in that. And you and a couple of people just did the whole thing for 7,500 people. A day. And, and, a day. I mean, and we didn't know where it stopped. Astronomical amount of labor. And it's, it's incredible. So, yeah. And, and you know, we didn't know where, where it we, – so we started it. And we didn't know. We didn't know when it was going to end either. Oh so God. it wasn't like, okay, last bit, bit – Bit, bit of push or whatever it was like okay no there's more people coming and now we have to do it to another site and it got worse before it got better and yeah it usually does so we ended up it ended up being 14 days straight oh my uh, god 7500 people god <laughs> almighty man Ooh. so yeah so those those are the war stories well but that that to me illustrates your philosophy on food even more i think than just the the ayurveda Mm-hmm. You know, that, that you're talking about food as medicine, you know, you don't get to pick your catastrophe, mm-hmm. you know, you're involved in a flood and then, uh, you're trying to help cancer yeah. <laughs> and then you're involved in a flood <laughs> and then an ice storm, but all throughout it, your medicine, your remedy, your, what you could pitch in on that was food. I yeah. think that that aligns perfectly with food being medicine Absolutely. or food being this sort of restorative thing that, I mean, it's, it's clearly necessary, but, uh, you know, I think it's a beautiful thing that you've got this um, this ethic that allows you to just see through tiredness, see through egregious violations of labor laws <laughs> for which you will be punished soon, yes, I promise. Really, yeah. uh, but <laughs> you know, the, to see through all that sort of shit and just be like, look, uh, there's a magic here. There's an mm-hmm. alchemy in my pan that I'd like you to experience. And uh, I, I love that, man. I think that's a that's a beautiful philosophy on on life, on food, on any of that sort of stuff, and on work. You know, if everybody kind of put that sort of ethic into whatever it is they do, I think we'd have a lot of, uh, maybe a lot more free time to enjoy ourselves. Yeah. Well, that's why, you know, I got to come to the desert and sit in a boat. You know, <laughs> and talk to a weirdo. Like, yeah, just kind of decompress and, and you know, that's it. Yeah. But, I mean, that was many years ago, but I, I think I think maybe that's the real reason I don't want to go back to large-scale catering. <laughs> because I don't want the team. Yeah, you never – well, the team, and you just never know when catastrophe mm-hmm. can strike. In a, but there is an organization out there where they have, you know, world-class chefs. They get together. I think they were down in Puerto Rico. And so many times I've wanted to reach out and be like, hey, you know, this is kind of my bag. I mean, Puerto Rico, that's – bringing that up, like – talk about a place that has just been swept under the rug there's still so many people there no power mm-hmm. no water no services no nothing we've just completely yeah i think about puerto rico uh not nearly as much as i should but it's a um, 
yeah, they could use they could use some food. Yeah, they could use some attention and some care. I uh, and and I think it comes from you know like my mother, she always you know university service overseas it was about helping people, helping people, mm-hmm. and and um, you know that has a huge appeal to me because you know you, you want to go in and, and there's a need when you hear people are not getting things and 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 again the logistics i mean i don't know if you saw that that picture and i don't i don't know what's real and what's not right because i haven't seen it right but they have you know tons and tons of water bottles just sitting on a tarmac and no way to distribute it and so if that is real then you know what that that's that's an easy solution, or somebody needs to have eyes on that, and somebody needs to yeah. to care enough, right? And not just be like, oh, okay, well, we got the water. Well, there's water right there. Nobody knows. Yeah, right? yeah, that whole yeah, that's a whole other discussion of how yeah. to like logistically sort things out. It's, especially, I mean, you uh, you've probably seen it getting governments involved. Um, there's yeah. so many boxes to tick. You know, who gets to deliver that, who's in charge of this, who's in charge of that sort of thing. Yeah, which which is one of the great things about in a kitchen, you know, the the bureaucracy is real simple. You Mm -hmm. know, you wash dishes, you chop vegetables, you plate, you're working the grill, you're on saute. You know, it's like, it's pretty well defined. Everybody knows what to do. Taking those sensibilities and trying to apply it to like a large scale government operation would be great. That's the thing is sometimes, you know, my belief is that the the government is, is not suited for for the micro things so they need to subcontract mm-hmm. you know or you know throw me the ball right yeah and, Put and me in, uh, yeah and let let and, and let me do it and and you do and you do all your paperwork or whatever needs to be done but i'm one box to check mm-hmm. right don't don't then you know like where's the water going it's like no these people need water okay bradley get the water to the people You're right i'll be like i need these resources okay yeah let's let's go it's i wish right. i wish it could be that that's simple. It can be. Yeah. Certainly, certainly can be. I should say, I wish it were actually in practice that simple yeah. right now. You know? So what, what's next for you, man? You're, you seem pretty content with what you're doing. Are, do you have ambitions to do anything differently or are you? So, so yeah, I mean this and this trip, I mean, I'm, I know it's only like a day or whatever in the desert, but you know, I, I, I feel like everything happens for a reason for a reason. And I came out here to kind of, refocus, take stock and, and, and figure out what my next step is. And all of a sudden I'm sitting here and I'm talking about where I've been, what, what's led to me there. Like this has kind of compelled me to, 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 to look at my life and reexamine my life. And, and I think it happened for a reason. Um, so, so now, you know, right now, all the same, I'm going through some life changes and, uh, and, and and yeah, maybe 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 I'll have the answer. Maybe maybe that answer is at the end of this trip or something. Well, you're thinking about it. That's a yeah. great. I mean, I, I don't know that uh, that's a common thing. Thinking about what's next. Yeah. I mean, I don't know that people necessarily think about what's now. I mean, that's that's a. I, I've found myself there. Like I get that. You know, what's next? Well, what's now? What am I doing right now? Mm-hmm. For you to be examining that at all, that's healthy. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's well, good I to. I hope so. Yeah, I, I I should probably do more of the what's next bit. I tend to think about what am I doing now, maybe too much. <laughs> but so. that's 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 good too because if you if you if you're looking at what's now and and that's that's a great phrase, you know, what's now is is um, you know because sometimes sometimes you are in the moment and you're just you know plodding along, plodding along, and and you you know you, you're just dealing with whatever is in front of you. You don't get out to, to see things. So that's why, again, for me, the simplest way to get perspective is to remove myself physically yeah. from someplace, drop myself into a desert somewhere, and then, you know, just kind of take stock and, yeah. and, and figure it out. Well, you've shown up, done that, man. We're out here in the middle of nowhere. Yeah. <laughs> in a, we are. In a dry dock boat. Yeah. Well, man, I know you're you're going to go meet your pals. you got people yeah, coming yeah. into town. Um it's been an absolute pleasure just hanging out with you, period. But, uh, thanks for breakfast, by the way. That no was worries. awesome. Didn't even mention that. I've had a number of guests on this podcast who've cooked me breakfast. Oh, yeah? <laughs> yeah. Good. Uh, well, I need to it, do it needs to be a tradition, man. I need to do the math on that. Like, how many people have made a meal that have been on my yeah. on our show? So, yeah. Well, thanks also for getting me up that hill. Because, oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yesterday we, we climbed that hill and... Uh, yeah, I probably would have wimped out on the first one. Well, thank, thank Tiffany for that one. She she gets me up most hills. Like, come yeah. on, don't be it. Yeah, get up there. 
sometimes you need that push indeed man well cheers hey thanks man thank you appreciate it here saying thank you for listening to the monkey tooth podcast if you haven't already or it's been a while check out our website mtp.dog there's plenty of information there an about tab with a little bio on andrew myself and our dog pele there's also a van build tab detailing how we did our van conversion a journal tab and we as an andrew are doing our best to keep that up to date and last but not least a contact tab where you can leave your thoughts, suggestions, or questions. You can also contact us on social media. We are on Facebook and Instagram, Monkey Tooth Podcast. If you would like to donate and or subscribe to the cause, you can go to Patreon and GoFundMe at Monkey Tooth Podcast. Patreon is not just a place to subscribe. We post lots of content there as well. We greatly appreciate each and every one of you. Love to all.